Consciousness is spiritual. It's housed in and affected by a brain that's physical, but until we acknowledge the spiritual side, our efforts to understand consciousness will never really get us where we want to go. We need to understand how the two are linked. Not that we're not making amazing progress on the physical side. Research on this front has developed in step with advances in instrumentation and technology. Neuroscientists today are still making major discoveries and shifting our whole sense of how the brain works and facilitates consciousness. In 2019, Yale University announced groundbreaking new technology for imaging brain activity. And then there's the Big Brain Research Project, where scientists in 2013 completed the first openly accessible microscopic resolution 3D model of the human brain. That's cool. This year, in June of 2020, the Human Brain Project entered its final phase, making unparalleled advances in understanding the brain's role in consciousness. And in the mid-1700s, advanced neuroscientist Emanuel Swedenborg documented the gyrational quality of neuronal... Oh wait, you haven't heard of him? That's right. Swedenborg was a neuroscientist before that was a field of study, and it's well documented that he made unparalleled insights into the working of the brain a hundred plus years before similar discoveries confirmed his early insights. But in his case, he was observing the brain from a spiritual perspective, as well as a natural one. He emphasized that we need to acknowledge the spiritual level of the brain too, and without it, we'll forever be missing half the equation of consciousness. Through his spiritual experiences, he was able to recognize how the human brain is shaped in the pattern of heaven itself. He witnessed how thoughts and feelings, although they exist in the spiritual world, make one with the activity in our brain and from there affect our whole bodies. And this is through correspondence. Brain activity is the best seat in the house for witnessing correspondence in action. Our brains are amazing or they're not. One minute we're kind and think clearly, the next we've been triggered and we're flooded by intense negative emotions that cloud our thinking and drive us to do things we may normally not want to do. But we're not just at the mercy of our brains either. A core part of our consciousness, whether you're thinking about it spiritually or not, is that we can engage, we can participate in a feedback loop that can help us. Using our brains with intention can actually change our brains. One basic biofeedback tool we can all use for affecting our mental state is our breath through mindfulness meditation. Research shows breathing techniques and mindfulness meditation help our bodies and impact the actual size of structures in our brains. But Swedenborg witnessed the spiritual basis for this too. With an intention and some knowledge, we can positively affect our spiritual state. To learn about the phenomenon of correspondences and the role they play in connecting the physical and spiritual worlds, see our show, There is a Science to Your Connection to Heaven. But watch the full episode here to learn about Swedenborg, the spiritual neuroscientist, the correspondence of the brain in particular, and how you can use your consciousness to connect to heaven. Swedenborg, the neuroscientist. Hey, did you know that Swedenborg had a day job before he became this metaphysical traveler and explorer of distant spiritual worlds? Yeah, he was a scientist. He, was a re he did a lot of stuff, but one of those things was he did research into the brain and discovered stuff about it. And it's not like once he got all spiritual, he just tossed that stuff out. That was actually the things he learned about the brain was were core to his worldview and how he understood the spiritual world. That, that let him understand 
the spiritual world. And just because he lived hundreds of years ago and had a wig, back when they didn't know as much as we know now, doesn't mean he only had a cursory grasp of the brain. He actually knew quite a lot about it. Swedenborg's advanced understanding of the brain has been well documented by those in the field of neuroscience. He made many groundbreaking discoveries and observations which predated mainstream confirmation. To give you a taste, he discovered the perivascular spaces, the foramen of Magendi, and the cerebrospinal fluid before any of these were given names by others much later on. He wrote about the importance of the pituitary gland and its role in maintaining normal neurological function, and this in the middle of the 18th century. He described the structure and function of nerve cells before anyone had even discovered cells, even giving them a specific name, the cerebellula. But we don't call them that now. We call them a word you're likely very familiar with, but one which wouldn't be coined for over a hundred more years, neurons. He believed that the cerebellula, or neurons, played a role not only in sensation and movement, but psychological states as well. He described the oscillation of particles through the nervous system, claiming that these particles move rhythmically from the brain out to the peripheral nerves and back to the brain through the center of the medulla. All of this before the role of electrical impulses in the nervous system was discovered by Luigi Galvani. In addition, he made innovative hypotheses which were later confirmed, such as the idea of somatotopic organization, that different parts of the body are connected to set points in the cortex, and this before anyone else thought the cerebral cortex was anything more than a shell to the inner parts of the brain. He hypothesized that the tectum had a role in vision, that habitual actions arise from the cerebrum by means of the medulla, and that the corpus callosum serves as a communication interface between the left and right cerebral hemispheres. That's quite a list. So he knew a lot of stuff, and a lot of stuff way ahead of his time. And how did he get to know that? Because he's smart and because he was working really hard. But why is he working so hard? It actually had a spiritual purpose because all of that was driven by his interest in how the spirit worked with the body. And we know this because he wrote about it. This is from a collection of compiled letters that he wrote, letter number six. And this is him replying to somebody, and he lists the query, which is what they had asked him, why from being a philosopher, I have been chosen? Answer, chosen for this task of revealing these teachings. Answer, the cause of this has been that the spiritual things which are being revealed at the present day may be taught and understood naturally and rationally. For spiritual truths have a correspondence with natural truths, because in these they terminate, and upon these they rest. For this reason I was introduced by the Lord first into the natural sciences, and thus prepared, and indeed from the year 1710 to 1744, when heaven was opened to me. Oh, so the science was a preparation for the spiritual. Everyone also is led by means of natural things to spiritual things. For man is born natural, by education he is made moral, and afterwards by regeneration from the Lord he becomes spiritual. Because this is not the time in human history when we're about to ditch learning stuff through science. How are we doing? We're doing very well. You're watching this on an amazing machine that science let us make. They're not going to get rid of that to do spirituality, but it's, a, it's waiting all that knowledge about the physical is waiting to accept spirituality into it. And so Swedenborg was like a microcosm of what we as a human race can go through. So what does Swedenborg say about the brain? Here's an example of his writing about it. When the skull and the membranes covering the entire surface of the brain are removed, 
I wouldn't recommend trying this at home. One can see in the brain wonderful twistings and windings that hold what are called the cortical substances. The fibers making up the brain's core run from the cortex through the nerves into the body where they function at the back and call of the cerebrum. Very much uh, anatomical description. How, where is the spirituality? Here we go. All of this matches the form of heaven perfectly because the Lord imprints that form on the heavens and therefore on the parts of a human being, especially on the human cerebrum and cerebellum. So you can't be Swedenborg and go learn about heaven unless you know the form of heaven, and the form of heaven is the brain. The brain, specifically those parts, is the form of heaven. That's a huge deal. That's a brand new way of looking at heaven, and suddenly it's this universal thing. Everybody's carrying around the form of heaven in their head. So let's dig into that a little more. What is the heavenly form? The form of heaven is astounding and completely mind-boggling because it far surpasses any concept of forms we can possibly develop by looking at worldly objects, even when we analyze them. All heavenly communities are organized into that form, and amazing to say, they exhibit a circular motion that accords with it, though angels and spirits do not feel the motion. The situation resembles the Earth's daily rotation on its axis and its annual revolution around the sun, which the inhabitants do not sense. I was shown what the form of heaven is like in its lowest realm. It resembled the pattern of folds seen in human brains. A perceptible view of its flow or circular motion was granted to me, the demonstration lasting several days. From this experience, I could tell that the form of the brain matches the pattern of movement in heaven. The correspondence of the brain. Look, I'm not trying to dump on brain research. You gotta do that. That leads to amazing discoveries. It's helpful. We just gotta remember that there's a spiritual side of things as well. There's another layer of application. As we asserted, the form of the brain is the form of heaven, and so it's uniquely responsive to heaven. And there is a correspondence between physical and spiritual and everything. And for our brains, the correspondence is between its activity, like the matter moving around in the neurons, and then our conscious experience, the thinking and feeling, which are spiritual. You're crossing dimensions in yourself right now, just experiencing things. So the brain is this connector in us between what is spiritual and what is earthly or what is physical. This is this is an awesome thing that's happening inside of you right now. And it's really, the brain is like the root of the rest of the body. So there the pattern of heaven is most concentrated or, or especially perfected and reflected uh, in the way that the brain is organized. So the brain is the locus of correspondence between what we think in our intellect and what we feel in our will and then the physical world. And so these spiritual things find a way to come out and touch an earthly manifestation, whatever's going on in the brain, through correspondence. So how does all that work? Well, it goes a little bit like this. This is Secrets of Heaven 6607. I was shown that when thoughts together with feelings diffuse themselves, see look, here we're getting the spiritual side of things and the detailed physical anatomy hand in hand. They circulate almost according to the form of the folds of gray matter in the human brain. 
I watched their convolutions for a long time. How would you like to get a front row seat to that? Or even like a fourth row seat. Okay, fine, I'll take a seat in the back if I can watch this happen in real time. They circled, bent, wove their way inward, and reemerged the same way as the aforementioned gray matter in the brains. It sounds like Swedenborg is describing brain waves. And this is way before anybody had any techniques to discover these electrical oscillations, as we now call them. They, they, nobody knew that they existed. We actually did a whole show on correspondences. Check it out. It's called There is a Science to Your Connection to Heaven. But here's an important point about correspondences that we have to keep in mind, especially when we're going to talk about correspondences of the body. So this is from Divine Love and Wisdom. We need to be fully aware that the arteries and veins in the lungs are not desires and that the breaths and are not perceptions and thoughts, but they are corresponding functions. Don't get that twisted. They talk to each other, but it's not the same thing. They are actually responsive or synchronized. It's the same for the heart and lungs. They are not love and discernment, but they are corresponding functions. And since they are corresponding functions, we can see one in the other. So what the physical things do for the body, the spiritual things do for the spirit. Clearly, too, it is thought that gives rise to breathing, and it is love's desires that give rise to thought. Doesn't, if you need to calm your mind down, don't they say, breathe in for four, pause for four, breathe out for four, right? Doesn't the breath affect the thought? Okay, this is a lot to, that we're throwing at you right here. I commend you for sticking with us, if you're still here. So let's take a second to review it. So let's look at this spiritual and physical stuff and how they parallel each other and interact. So you've got the heart and the lungs, and you've got sort of these mini-me's for each of them. You think of the blood vessels being a little version, a miniature extension of the heart, and then an individual breath is like a miniature extension of the lungs. So if you have these corresponding functions, Blood vessels are like desires, and breaths are like thoughts and perceptions. And it's not just they are like, there's a true correspondence. So what the blood vessels do for your body, a desire does for your spirit, and what a breath does for your body, supply it with momentary oxygen, is like what a thought or perception does for your spirit. And then, across the physical spiritual boundary, these things are responsive and synchronized to each other. So, breath really does have an interaction with thoughts. So then if we pull back to where those little things came from, you've got our heart, which is like the core from which all these blood vessels come from. So correspondentially, that's the core of our love. And lungs would be not just thoughts, but this is the core, which is discernment. These are the containers of what's in them. So love has desires in it. Discernment houses thoughts and perceptions. So there's like three-dimensional chess in the way that all these are related. And it's all set up so they can influence each other and create this seamless machine together. And there's an order of operations of influence. It's all about a desire leading to a thought, which then leads to breath. and actually functions like this cross-dimensional organism. So there is a living example of correspondence. There's these two layers, earthly and spiritual, and they're not the same thing, 
and they never will be, but they're responsive and synchronized. They can somehow communicate and affect each other. The brain houses the thoughts and feelings, and its function connects to the function of the heart and the lungs. So there's a lot going on in you. You knew it was physically, but now you can uh, you know, go brag to your friends that you have this whole spiritual mechanic going on every time you just think something or feel something. Using your brain. I'll go, oh, we got to use it too. Seriously though, having a brain is no fun. It just is this total mess at times. So how do we take what we've learned about the interaction between the physical and the spiritual and make it make our conscious experience a little bit better and more friendly? Well, first, we've got to lay some groundwork. So we talk about psychological states, we as the human race. And so people think about the stuff of psychology. It's got to somehow be mapped and playing out in the brain matter. And we're still making new discoveries on this front. Here's some interesting brain research that's going to help set the stage for us. Brain research is finding that psychiatric disorders are related to altered brain circuitry. For example, recent research has managed to identify the specific brain circuits involved in post-traumatic stress disorder. Through functional neuroimaging, certain brain regions have been identified as having altered activity and connectivity. Some of these regions are the ones that have to do with our experience of fear, threat detection, reward processing, and valence representation, or how we read whether something is good or bad. So research is starting to be able to see how emotional and psychological disturbance is reflected in the wiring and firing of the nerve cells in the brain. So that's state-of-the-art science, but it actually may just be catching up to explaining and exploring something that Swedenborg observed. We call it being flooded when intense emotions and thoughts seem to you know, hijack our brains and we lose some impulse control or we get really narrow-minded and our tunnel vision is in and it's just this one problem. Swedenborg observed the same thing, which sounds, from the way he was writing, like overwhelmed or altered circuitry in the brain. This is from Secrets of Heaven. I had the opportunity to learn from experience what a flood or deluge is in a spiritual sense. There are two kinds, a flood of corrupt desires and a flood of false ideas. Corrupt desires flood the volitional side of the mind, and this flood takes place in the right side of the brain. False ideas flood the intellectual side of the mind, and this flood affects the left side of the brain. If you're really lucky, you get both. When people who have lived good lives are let into their self-absorption, and therefore into the environment created by their selfhood, a kind of flood seems to occur. So we're starting to get or bringing morality into this. While immersed in the flood, they seethe rage, think turbulent thoughts, and experience fierce cravings. How was your day today, honey? Well, I was seething and raging. In one way, when the flood inundates the left side of their brain where falsity resides, and in another, when it inundates the right side where evil resides. So you've got a cool little cluster happening here. You have Swedenborg providing historical corroboration for the phenomena being described in the brain, but he's also tying it into these spiritual actions that are going on simultaneously and starting to tie it into morality and where it might play a role in our spiritual development. Still doesn't mean it's any fun to get flooded, but he does describe that it's possible to find peace even amidst this kind of inundation. 
In contrast, when they are being held in the environment created by the life they have received from the Lord through rebirth, they stand entirely outside any such flood, under a clear sunny sky, so to speak, in a cheerful, happy place. So they are not in the vicinity of seething, rage, turbulence, cravings, and so on. This situation is morning or springtime for spirits. The other is their evening or fall. I was allowed to perceive that I was standing outside the flood for a fairly long time, and during that time, I saw that other spirits were inside it. Later on, though, I myself was submerged, and I then experienced something like a flood. People undergoing times of trial have the same experience. Well, that sounds nice. Are we like that? Is there a way that we can enhance our ability to connect to that peaceful state? One way we could do it is, do you remember our handy diagram from earlier? We follow the steps there. You have an intention, you know, a, a good spiritual intention. Then you understand techniques. That's a matter of the thought. And then apply them to our breath. Cross that correspondential barrier to achieve a result. And this can, the result being a benefit of the spiritual state. So try to get those dominoes to fall. This is what I like to call biofeedback. I, I barely know that term, but I know it applies here. This might be why mindfulness meditation is proving through research to be so helpful to people when dealing with states like this. Mindfulness meditation can have a lot of forms, but at its core, it involves cultivating compassionate awareness and connecting to our breath. There's a lot of research that shows that mindfulness practices have observable impact on the brain. One study showed that only eight weeks of simple, short daily meditation grew the areas in the brain associated with compassion and self-awareness. Another study found that meditators' brains tended to be enlarged in a number of areas, like those involved in emotional self-awareness, self-regulation, and attention. But beyond that, there's one striking area that's been found to actually shrink with regular meditation practice, the amygdala. The amygdala is a part of our brain that produces feelings of anxiety, fear, and general stress. It was found, again, in just an eight-week course in mindfulness-based stress reduction, that the size of the amygdala shrunk measurably. A smaller amygdala means less strong emotional reactiveness, like what happens in the fight-or-flight response. It's pretty amazing that a simple practice like meditation can have such pronounced positive effects on our brains and health. And if the brain is the form of heaven, could it be that there's proportions to different parts in the form of heaven? Is, you know, if your amygdala is a little bit too big, are we shrinking it down to the heavenly size so that you don't get caught up in these floods that seem to happen when you're in an amygdala-driven state? So cool to think about heaven coming in and saying, oh, yeah, let me just shrink you down 7%, grow you 3%, and now we're resonating. So there are systems in our brains that can be tapped into that are making it so that we can find this peace that we're all looking for even in the middle of the, the turmoil. So it's not that you're just stuck with your brain how it is. We can let heaven get in there and, and tinker around. Let's wrap it up. We hooked you up today with the correspondences key in the hopes that it'll help you improve your consciousness. And we're confident that it could or will or should because knowing about correspondences is super important. This is from Heaven and Hell. 
There is a responsiveness between the things in the inner person and those in the outer. That's you we're talking about. So that things from either side appear in a different guise on the other side. So different that they cannot be identified without a knowledge of correspondences. This is how the two sides of you get to start to understand each other. And what are you doing? Oh, okay, I get it. You can't point to a thought or feeling in the brain, but but they're there. I mean, it's through the living correspondence between our spirit and body that something you're feeling can show up in some kind of scan. This is true for our entire spirit and body. So how the brain, the heart, the lungs are all connected and correspond to how our love, understanding, and the thoughts and feelings from there all work together to make our consciousness. How could there be something cooler to know or more relevant to know than that? So understanding the physical systems can help, and it helps us understand the spiritual systems and vice versa. Spiritual is kind of ineffable, but this is a very, very connected teaching tool that you're wearing around right now. And together, we can use that knowledge of both sides to grow, both sides in harmony, the physical and spiritual, use that to grow spiritually. And what's the point? Well, it's connect with that peace that we were talking about, with God's loving presence, which is here right now, and sometimes has trouble getting all the way through to us. The correspondences help to open that door. And there's lots of resources. If you thought the mindfulness meditation thing was cool, there's all kinds of resources out there. Inside Timer, Headspace, Calm, 10% Happier, Buddhify, Unplug, Civil Habit, Ara, Sattva, Inscape, Smiling Mind, all of these. I don't get paid if you go to any of these. I will say I've been using the Calm app. Don't, don't go to them because I won't get a commission. I'm not trying to say something. I'm just saying it's useful. It's a great, all that kind of stuff is this important augment. Why? Because when we find that peace, when we take, when we go from a good desire to some kind of known technique and apply that to the physical stuff that we're doing, breathing, sitting, it can really put some, some like that little flag on the runway. Hey, heaven, like land here. Let's, uh, let's get the form of heaven going on. And that should translate to you being happy and peaceful. And I hope you have a lot of that today. Off the Left Eye is Curtis Childs, director, producer, and host. Karen Childs, writer, community manager, and host. Chelsea Odner, writer, production manager, and host. And Jonathan Rose, host and series editor of the NCE. Shada Sullivan is the voice you love in our narrations. Stuart Farmer is our technical director. Matthew Childs, our video art director. Our motion designers are Meng Jong and Jesse Johnson. Reed McArdle made our music. Devin Osblond is our production intern. Cara Dom is our Latin consultant extraordinaire. And Chris Dunn is our digital marketing magician. And you are our much-loved listener. And now you can journey with us all week. Every Monday's Swedenborgan Life episode, including this one, has a week's worth of content lined up to support you in your exploration of these life-changing ideas. All video content premieres at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 7 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time on the Off the Left Eye YouTube, Facebook, and Simplecast channels. On Tuesdays, find us on social media or go to offtheleftye.com to get custom downloadable art paired with the week's topic to ground you through the week. On Wednesdays, join us to dig a little deeper into the week's topic with news from heaven. On Thursdays, we want to hear from you. We'll be sharing a new reflection question weekly on our community tab and social media channels. Then join us for Swedenborg Live on Fridays for our panel Q&A show. And listen every Sunday to the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast to always know what we're up to and what you can look forward to. 
If you want to help sustain Off the Left Eye's operations, consider becoming a monthly donor today. And right now, we have a matching gift challenge from a very generous donor couple where dollar for dollar up to $10,000 will be matched when you make a new or increased monthly donation. You can provide a direct gift or restrict it to our new Off the Left Eye Endowment Fund. Giving to the Endowment Fund is a great way to guarantee that your gifts live on to help Off the Left Eye forever. Go to otle.cosvox.com to become part of our essential community of donors. From all of us here at Off the Left Eye, we thank you.